one day his friend comes up to me and says, your roommate said he was going to do this, go to this bank and walk in and, you know, rob it basically. And he goes, um, but if he backs out, will you do it? Bond, James Bond. If you're familiar with GoldenEye, it's probably what you think of, but there's a new GoldenEye tonight. Note the big gold-rimmed glasses, hence the nickname. I wasn't looking to get rich off of the banks. I was just looking to not get sick. He's pretty straightforward. Heads for the teller, demands cash, and then takes off. And so but some crazy things started happening. Like, uh, I'm like, dude, you, I feel like we're being followed. It's like, <laughs> no. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I'm going to be doing an interview with Scott Martinez. Scott is a former heroin addict and bank robber. He's got an interesting story that I think you guys will find fascinating. Scott, what's going on? Talk, uh, talk to me. We, we, we've gone back and forth on text. We talked a little bit. Tell me um, tell me what's going on. How, how, did, how did this whole life story kind of, how did this start? Um, I... Uh... I was born in Northern California, and um, the most I could really remember was just my mom and me all the time. I didn't really know my real father, and uh, Vinny knows him out there. It'd be great, but um, he was a biker, I guess, and we always lived in this kind of chaos environment. And I was I was born Scott Green, so I've had several through different marriages, different names, and and that kind of thing. I used to see my mom go through some physical abuse and you know I was gaslighted at a young age and and those kind of things and so I just never felt like I fit in anywhere you know and so growing up you know probably the first crime I committed was stealing my mom's cigarettes and going behind the A&W to uh, smoke a few when I was like six years old and then uh, I went to a private school and I was a chatty popular kid but always doing stupid things you know and like grabbing the phone and payphone and dialing zero and yelling fire <laughs> when I was in first grade and the police saw the fire truck show up and all kinds of crazy things. And as life progressed, I just that that sense of soullessness kind of uh, where you just feel like you're this person in life, but you're not there. Like there is no real reality. Like they would tell me we're going to Magic Mountain when I was a kid and bringing three of my friends and I would just sit there very stoic and no smile, no emotion. And so I, somewhere around 12, 13, I uh, started running away from home and those kind of things. And I uh, ended up robbing my next door neighbor's house <laughs> with some friends that basketball went over the, why'd you go ahead? Why were you running away from home? I mean, was, are you saying it was a, a was it abusive? What? No, my mom, yeah. No, my mom, my mom's a great person. Like she always treated me well. She's a phenomenal person now. She does a lot of good for other people. And my stepfather now, Tony, he's a, he's a great man too. Like there was never really any issues with them. It's just, I had progressed to the point where I couldn't attach right. to people. Like there was just this blockage of, uh, emotion in me, you know? Right. And so I don't know, that might be a common theme, you know, with that kind of sense of feeling lost um, at an age. And I was an only child and spent a lot of time with my grandparents and around adults. And then um, my mom couldn't have any more children after me. So 
they decided to take on foster children. And that just kind of threw me for a big loop because here we were finally in a stable relationship uh, with my stepfather and her and they're doing great. And he's taking care of her the way, you know, a husband should. And these new kids come in and I just, you know, I don't know, just uh, that's always been my fighter, you know, and I've always just been the, the flyer instead of the fire. Right. And so most of my time, uh, like 13, 14, like one time I ran away and um, I came home, I'd been drinking, I came home and my mom's asleep in my bed as I'm trying to climb through the window <laughs> to get back into the house. I'm like, shit, I didn't want to get in trouble. So I go down to my friends and I take his bike. And I remember my girlfriend at the time is all the way up in Santa Barbara and I lived in Redondo Beach. So it's about 180, 180 miles, something like that. So I um, stole this little BMX bike and I'm like, I'm going to go see this girl. She's all the way up in Santa Barbara with her mom. And I'm like in seventh, eighth grade and I'm just pedaling away through Malibu and the hills and stop at the store and grab some nuts and come back out. And man, it took like two days, slept on the beach in Oxnard and ended up going to Santa's village in Santa Barbara. And I get there and then I see her with her mom as they're getting in the car to head back. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just had to come here and see you. I had, um, in high school, I started, um, drinking and smoking a little weed and doing a little Coke. And I was about 15 and I thought, you know, this doesn't make sense back to Back in those days in the 80s, you could buy an eight ball for 300, you know, when it was 100 bucks a gram. Like, it doesn't make sense to spend all that when I could just sell the $300 worth and get my little gram for free. And of course, the friends all take advantage, don't pay. And um, I ran away and um, the Armenians came, <laughs> threw bricks through my window and my parents' house. And, and so it just got real chaotic. And so I had robbed the neighbor. I saw their window cracked. And so we did that. And I was living in this abandoned house. We pawned the things off. And I'm living in this abandoned house. And I remember my ex-girlfriend had a code on their alarm. And I'm like, ah, I think I'll go in there and, you know, just take a little bit and get out. Well, I found this big box of credit cards back in the day, you know, like JC pennies and whatever. So this guy I was staying with at this abandoned house. I'm like, dude, let's get some tickets and we'll go to Miami. And then we're going to do this right. <laughs> I'm 16, you know, so we're going to do this right. Miami vice it. And, um, so we ended up getting the tickets and I'm sitting at LAX and it's about 20, 30 minutes before they start boarding. He and I are sitting at LAX. And two police officers come up and they're like, uh, Scott, I'm like, yes. He's like, uh, we need you to come with us. And so I'm like, what? And the other guy is what? And so how did they know you were there? We go back and well, I found out later they got an anonymous tip that I had stolen some credit cards and I was bought a plane ticket. So they got an anonymous tip and I'm sitting in the the thing in there and they're like, okay, so how did you get the tickets? Do you know these people? Well, we have to verify with them. And I just, you know, I just said, look, I took the credit cards. I bought the ticket. This guy over here has no idea what's going on other than we're going to Miami. He was 18 already. So, and, um, you know, I, you know, I'm responsible. 
So I um, ended up going through uh, the process there. I spent probably about eight, nine months at uh, Central Juvenile Hall, which is uh, just completely chaotic, you know. And I had a, I had this judge, Judge Dorn, and everybody's like, oh, man, if you get Judge Dorn, you're screwed. And so I ended up going to... <laughs> I, you know, I ended up going to this place called Kirby, uh, which was like a closed placement. So you're with other kids and you finish your high school and um, you get counseling and those kind of things. Your parents kind of come on the weekend and, and that kind of stuff. But I was there about six months. And so right when I turned 18, so about a year and a half total. And then when I turned 18, um, right after that, I was released. So, right. so but I had, I had credit card fraud. I had breaking and entering on two places. I probably had five or six felonies all listed in that, that whole before mess, you know, before I'm 18. So, but I got out after I'm 18. And so I think that was around September or so. And I had a friend, he'd just gotten out of the Navy and I'm thinking like, I'm going to enlist in the Navy because every time you see the Navy guys, they're always partying. <laughs> They're always hanging out, having a good time in the bars with the girls, you know, so I'm going to join the Navy and I go down to the recruiter and talk to him and he does a few things. And he's like, well, Mr. Martinez, uh, I'm sorry, but we can't, we can't take you. You have all these charges. I'm like, oh, shit, I go, but I was a juvenile. He goes, it doesn't matter. It's pulling up in the system. So we called the public defender who had represented me and he's now in private practice at this time. And so we get a court date and go in front of the judge. I tell him what I'm trying to do. And uh, good old Judge Dorn, he goes, you know, Miss Martinez, I think this is a good thing for you. You want to serve your country? Slams it down. He says, all those charges are dismissed. Just completely dismissed as if I had never been found guilty. Nice. So, yeah, it was just, he did me such a huge solid, you know. And we go back to the recruiter and I'm in there and he's like, were you just in here? He goes, I can't take you. I can't take you. I go, look it up. And so he punches in. He's like, well, Mr. Martinez, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so I take the, I take the ASVAB and I scored pretty high on it. And it's the test for the military. I couldn't do was nuke nuclear. <laughs> like, thank God. And, um, but they wanted me, I signed up to be a cryptological technician with like the highest clearance thinking you could ever get, you know, I was going to decode secret messages and work on the machines and sitting in some, little room with two other people in some NSA building, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Like I'm the worst, the worst one you ever want. <laughs> and so I'm in my, I, so I went in the Navy and, um, boot camp was very horrible. Had some bad experiences in the Navy, but they, um, I'm going there and they're interviewing me to go to this, uh, CT school. And my high school diploma says, uh, Graduated from Los Angeles Department of Probation. So, you know, he's like, well, why did you graduate from there? And I ran away a few times. <laughs> so that never ended up happening out. So I ended up some doing some other things in the Navy and just drinking my whole way through. And I, I went from E1 to E2 to E3 to E2 to E3 to E2, E3, E3 4. Yeah, yeah. And in, uh, in about five years, yeah. Are these for charges or for being written up or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not criminal charges. No, I went to captain's mass twice 
So I was in uh, Plattsburgh, New York, and we're walking along and I find this money order on the ground for a hundred bucks. No name written out on it, no nothing. And the receipt parts on the back, the, the carbon and everything. I'm like, well, I'm just going to write it. I was married. I got married at, uh, at 19. I can talk about that after, but I was married. And so I just write my wife's name on there to me and go in and cash it. Well, it turns out it was, uh, either the commander or the, uh, the executive commander of the whole entire base there in Plattsburgh, New York, his wife had dropped it. So they were able to search it. And next thing you know, I'm getting called in and, and, uh, so I'm sure in a, in a legal world, I did nothing wrong, but you know, when you're supposed to be of the, the highest ethical standards. You tell them I was definitely that, that my wife wrote me a bad money order. You need to talk to my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I wish, I wish I was that kind of person, you know, like just. I uh, cut out. Just, <laughs> just like even, even, even when I was at the airport, you know, and I'm just like, I automatically have always taken the rap. Like, with houses that we broke into, there were three other ones of us that were in there. Like I just always just ate it, you know. I'm figured I'm caught. I'm I'm already busted, you know. So why why throw other people into the mix? But I was upset about that, and I had to do base restriction and horrible. Yeah. So and then uh, another time we were flying in Tampa, and we landed and. So we have uh, 12 hours before your next flight where you have to stay sober. So we had to do a lot of repairs on the plane and a lot of communications equipment and those kind of things. And so we go, and I'm only 18, 19 at the time. And so I think I heard when you said on one of your interviews, uh, you talked about you went into the bank and threw lamination over an ID yeah. to change something. Well, we could do, yeah, we could do that with our military ID. I'd outline a number with tape. And then I put another piece of tape over and rip it off. And the transparency of that number would stick on the sticky part of the tape. And then I laid it over my 1969. And so I got so shit-faced that night. And um, I'm swimming in the wrong hotel pool at a Holiday Inn naked. And the guys come along and... I'm swimming naked in the hotel Holiday Inn, and it's the wrong Holiday Inn. And and uh, of course, there's a female cop, you know, telling me to get out of the pool. And I was air crew, so I could tread water for a good hour, you know. At that point, I'm like, I'm I'm gonna be here all night. I can go all night. <laughs> and I saw a break, and I thought I could run for it naked, and hopped a big juniper tree over the eight foot cinder block <laughs> before they caught me. And uh, and they, I just, I made the jump to the tree and just slid down. And that was about it. So we're in the back of the police car and the, the cops like, so what's your name? And I'm like, Martinez, blah, 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 blah. Just give him my social security number, E3, United States Navy. That's it. <laughs> like I'm a prisoner of war or something, you know, just stupid, stupid. And they pull in the, uh, you know, they park the police car always and they go to the locker and put in their guns. Well, they took me out before one of them had put in their weapon and he starts to take it out and I grab for the weapon. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like half blacked out. I grab for the weapon. They pull me back and, and, um, what's going on YouTube. RDAP Dan here, federal prison time consulting. Hope you guys are all having a great day. 
If you're seeing and hearing this right now, that means you're watching Matt Cox on Inside True Crime. At the end of Matt's video, there will be a link in the description where you can book a free consultation with yours truly, RDAP Dan, where we can discuss things that could potentially mitigate your circumstances to receive the best possible outcome at sentencing or even after you started your prison sentence. Prior to sentencing, we can focus on things like your personal narrative, your character reference letters, prepping you properly for the pre-sentence interview, which is going to determine a lot of what type of sentence you receive. If you've already been sentenced, we can also focus on the residential drug abuse program, how you can knock off one year off of your sentence. Also, we have the First Step Act where you can earn FSA credits while serving your sentence. For every 30 days that you program through the FSA, you can actually knock an additional 15 days off per month. These are huge benefits, and the only way you're going to find out more is by clicking on the link, booking your free consultation today. All right, guys, see you soon at the end of the video. Peace. I'm out of here. Back to you, Matt. It took me about eight hours or so to wake up in the cell because I was, I was, we were drinking B-52s and Bloody Marys and so much to get it all in before our 12 hours, 12 hour window closed. And, uh, and that's pretty serious, you know, like that kind of, that kind of thing could have put me away for who knows how long, you know, at that point. And so I missed my flight, which was uh, pretty bad because we, we were a specialty crew. So to miss my flight was, uh, pretty horrific in the Navy's eyes. And so, but they came and they got me out and, um, no charges, no charges pressed on me or nothing. And I, um, went in front of the captain again and that was pretty much it. I lost my clearance, lost my wings, lost everything. So you, you were the last we talked, you had caught naked in the pool, missed your flight back in front missed of like, me. Missed like Back yeah, the- grab the top gun in the in the holding area, and yeah, you're nuts. I don't know what I was getting. Uh, back in front of the captain, yeah, because I was Navy, so it was the second time around. I had uh, they were familiar with me when I first checked into the base because I was there for training at the same base and the same uh, unit I was in, and so I was in training. I was dating this girl out in town. And she had given me a calling card to call her when I was out in California because I was stationed in Maryland. And so I met another girl. And then so when I left California, I was calling this girl with that calling card. And, you know, this is back in the 80s. So, you know, it was a buck a minute on AT&T and, yeah. you know, so. What a racket. Yeah, what a, yeah. What a racket they had. I was sitting on an airplane flying to uh, boot camp in Orlando. And I'm, this guy's got his laptop open. And I'm saying, so what are you doing? What do you do? And he says, well, I, um, I'm a finance manager. And I, he goes, I'm just reviewing some stock things. I go, you got any good picks? And he said, yeah. He goes, MCI. So MCI had started as a multi-level marketing through Amway. And then they went, uh, AT&T emerged with AT&T in the long distance. And they went phenomenally huge. Like if I had put $1,000 into MCI back then, I'd be, you know, not sitting here right now. <laughs> so, yeah. So you were you were back at the base. Back at the base, uh, restriction. Uh, I mean, I had to stay on base, so my wife's home alone, and you know, it's they sent me through this uh, alcohol class, and they said, "Well, you're just a, you're just an abuser, and uh, not an alcoholic, but just uh, a binger," you know. So. I did this little thing, and um, but I ended up getting out at E4, 
which uh, I was the same rank as everybody that I was in training with that didn't get busted twice. I um, I managed to pass the test the first time around, so it was uh, I felt good about that. And I ended up getting an honorable discharge, so I was just, you know, so. Well, you got, for, for, for this, for that, that issue, they told, asked you to leave or you just. No, I finished out my time there. I finished out my time in the service. And so, but I just, I couldn't fly anymore. I couldn't do what our unit was doing and, and those kind of things anymore. So I had uh, lost my clearance, uh, everything. So I pretty much everywhere and everybody that I knew I was isolated from because I, uh, without the clearance, I just couldn't be there. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So I, I got out of the service in, uh, 94 and I grew up in California, originally Northern California. I was born in the hospital of my last name, Martinez, California. And, uh, but <laughs> so we're living in Southern California now and, um, uh, got my real estate license. My parents sold real estate. Um, I was familiar with that cause my dad would give me a stack of flyers like this and pay me 25 cents an hour. And I put a few on the doors and throw the rest in the dumpster and come home and <laughs> till, till, till trash day. And then all the flyers went out all over the floor, all over the ground in the street. You know, and people are calling them, this is Martinez, get your flyers off my lawn. Oh. And, uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I just, if I've done it wrong, I've been caught for it. I, I don't know. Do you know people like that? That just whatever they do, they end up getting caught. Like the dumbest things that just. Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> like you think I would learn by now, but I, um, my second ex-wife said I suffered from hot stove syndrome that, uh, every time I touch the hot stove and burn myself, I just believe the next time it's not going to be hot. And, uh, right. that seems to be the somewhat of the truth. But I, um, so I was married and tried doing the real estate. Those things didn't really work out well. We traveled quite a bit, California, Oregon. I was licensed, real estate licensed in California, Oregon, and had my license in Maryland when I was uh, there stationed there. But the market in uh, that time was just horrible. They were laying off engineers and uh, everything. So I ended up moving out to uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And lived there for a while. Got divorced, um, and just drinking constantly. Excuse me. And odd jobs here and there, and I had a lot of PTSD from childhood and from the service. So it's difficult for me to, like, I get brilliant ideas, but to follow through on them is uh, is tough. Yeah. To stay with, you know. Everybody has. Everybody has. What was that that book syrup or something? It's like everybody has three multi-billion dollar ideas in their lifetime. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it, but it's the following through that's the hardest part. Yeah. I think my favorite that I came up with is endangered species animal crackers. Like I thought you can't hunt them, but you can eat them. Right. Like I thought that would be great. Get Sierra Club to come and sponsor, you know, the spotted owl and talk about it a little bit. And then you could have the spotted owl and dip in some peanut butter and you got to make that phone call to uh, the animal cracker people. <laughs> I looked it up a couple of years ago and someone's doing it now. So, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and you could you could partner with National Geographic. You could, you know, they'll kind of. Yeah, the zoos, they could sell at the zoos, you know. I thought it would just be great. 
They're giving you yeah. a portion of the, you, you say, I'm, we're giving a portion of the profit, very small portion, to whatever. Yeah, the Sierra Club or Greenpeace or, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, have little clubs and baby seals there as an animal cracker and you can just eat them away. <laughs> yeah, so I got divorced in Cleveland um, and then living there for a while and uh, got remarried again and... I was just desperate, you know, like clinging on to anything, you know, I was living on my own, barely paying rent. And I lived in this little artsy neighborhood where, uh, people would come on. It was like Michael Simon's first restaurant there. I don't know if you know him. He's on a show called the chew, uh, but he has a restaurant there called Lola's and he got his start there. And so, but surrounded by it is all projects, you know, so people come in on the weekends and go to the art galleries and eat at the restaurants and we call them tourists, you know, and I, I used to love to go there in the beginning and watch the local people watch the locals. And then after a few years, you realize you're the one being people watched, <laughs> you know, but cause you're the one being stupid in the corner and, and doing whatever. And I had a gun pulled over a few times for drinking and wrecked a few cars and, um, never got any kind of trouble with alcohol, no DUIs, nothing like that. And my second wife worked for the department of justice. And so I got pulled over one time doing 95 on the freeway and at 60 and uh, went. And so we're on the way back to the police station. And I said, so what's the bond on this? And he goes, well, it's a hundred bucks. I'm like, you know, my ATM is right by the police station. Can you just take me through? And he took me through. I pulled out my hundred bucks and um, yeah, he like unleashed, I released the cup and I did the ATM. So I'm in the back seat at the ATM and I go there, I bomb myself out, and um, you you gave it to him and said, "Let's just cut <laughs> no. yeah. yeah. whole thing." Yeah, let me just can I just give you the money and you'll turn it in? I yeah. Can you just let me out now? And uh, my house is right over here. I swear I'll show up to court. And uh, so I got a good attorney, and um, I ended up getting what's called a uh, physical control. I don't know if they have. That in Florida. So basically, I was in physical control of the vehicle, but not driving, but doing 95 reckless driving on the freeway. So I didn't get a DUI, I didn't get a DUI at all. So um, and I've been fortunate that way, like my whole life, like uh, the Judge Dorn incident. And um, when I was in Cleveland, I would meet some people and like if anybody talked crap to me or whatever, and we're about to go outside and and have a fight, they just like, no, 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 we got this. And so uh, it's kind of a pattern in my life. I don't know, like there's, so like there's always something there looking out for me in some way, like the, grabbing the cop's gun and not getting, you know, yeah. five years for that. And, um, and cause I, one time we we're playing pool and this guy comes up and he's talking crap and, and I start to walk outside. We're going to go outside. And, uh, this other guy's like boots. He says, no, no, we got this. Um, and I'm like, well, I'm going to come with you. He's like, no, 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 you don't want to come out here. And so about a half hour later, you hear the ambulances come in and they beat the shit out of that guy. But like, I've never had to do anything like that. Like I've probably been in two fights my whole life and that's in, including prison, you know, which is crazy. So I, um, so I left Cleveland and drinking real bad and went on a driving hiatus and, uh, ended up in Las Vegas. I had a little money from 
uh, schooling I was going to get for the VA Veterans Administration. And so I ended up in Vegas. I was heading back to Ohio, but I got as far as Vegas and uh, just lost it all there. And I'm homeless at this point. And um, I, I come out to Phoenix from Vegas and I met a girl from, I knew her back from Ohio and she was super to me and, and everything. When I got out there, I was just a wreck, you know, and I get out to Phoenix and I'm homeless. And I don't know if you've ever seen the homeless situation out there. They got an area where it's just tent city and they would lock you up in this area at night because they have like a, a shelter, but the shelter is always overfilled uh, with people. But if you stay there, you could get meals and, you know, the VA system was there inside the, uh, the center and, um, uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I started talking to some people and the VA gave me my own apartment because I was homeless and my record, <laughs> my discharge anyway, with the military being honorably discharged. And, um, they gave me my, my own apartment and, um, my neighbor, he would, I'd see him and he'd be kind of nodded out and happy or whatever. And I asked somebody and they said he, he shot heroin and I said like, ah, oh, I want to do that. You know, like, and, um, man, that first time, Matthew, uh, it's like a calm came over me that all of those feelings that I had or lack of feelings inside of me just went away. It was, it was for the first time I felt normal, if that makes any kind of sense. And, uh, you know, but the, the problem with that is after you know, three, four more hours you need, you're not feeling so normal anymore, anymore. But like we talked about, like the best thing for my alcoholism was heroin because it cured it like that. That first shot, I didn't touch a drink automatically. Not the next day I could open up a can of beer and it sit on my table till it was stale, you know, and just no desire to drink or anything. And so I was, I was managing that way, holding signs and, and, uh, asking for money and, and I was never one to like steal from people. Like I couldn't go rob a, a beauty salon or something like that. Or if somebody came to me and wanted somebody came to me and wanted something, I would get it for them and bring it back and and not take from that. I'd expect them to do the right thing. And and um, so I um, like I said, when I was holding the signs, all the people with fancy cars would roll out. I'd just say homeless vet, please help. And all the fancy car people and most of them would roll up the windows and, you know, very just, you know, that face. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the people that would give me money were, you know, the the people that looked like they didn't have any money. The Hispanic lady with three kids in the back seat would give me 20 bucks. And I just like, oh, I can't do this. This is horrible. Like what, you know, it makes you reflect on yourself. Like what kind of person am I? You know, like you can tell this lady doesn't seemed like she has that much money to feed her kids or anything, you know, and here she's given to me to support my drug habit. And, um, I'd been pretty isolated from my parents. So I never asked them for money and that kind of thing. So I met a guy and he's staying in my apartment. He's a heroin addict also. So one day his friend comes up to me and says, Hey man, um, your roommate said he was going to do this, go to this bank and walk in and you know rob it basically and he goes um but if he backs out will you do it and like i'm thinking like i'm sick i need money this could take care of me for a while so i said yeah and of course the other guy backed out so 
I'm like, well, shit, I guess I got to do it. And uh, that's where it all started. That was uh, there in Phoenix. What'd you do? You went, you just, you wrote a note or? Yeah. So um, I wrote a note and I had long hair. I'm kind of growing it long now, but I had long hair before that, about down to here. And so I cut my hair and I threw on the little Irish, you know, little golfer Irish hat. And um, uh, I had a long sleeve shirt on and pants but like i went and got the elastic like grandma pants you know and so underneath my long sleeve shirt was a short sleeve t-shirt and underneath my pants were shorts and i stashed a backpack in this underground garage um and so when i so i went into the bank and i wrote a note i put it on the counter and he's just looking at me and i see his hand go like this I'm like, don't you press that fucking button. Don't you press that fucking button. And he goes like this. <laughs> Just right in my face, like, there you go. Stick it, you know? Press the button. And um, I was so nervous. Like, uh, like it's just pure adrenaline at that time because I, you know, I got the discovery back and I never even put the glasses down over my face. <laughs> I'm staring at the camera like, you know, when they get the discovery. And so you didn't get any money. No, I got about three grand. He, oh, he gave me the he oh, gave me the money and hit the button and hit the button. And so he gave me the money, and so I went down under the garage, did the little switcheroo, threw the stuff in the backpack, and I had a little black bag like this, and threw stuff in the backpack, walked through the parking garage, came up an elevator that um, was on another side, and took another walkway and up another elevator to street level. And then went across, and then I got on the light rail there in Phoenix. And as I'm coming across, the police are pulling into the bank, and I'm just like, <laughs> and um, so that took care of you know for that was the first that was a U.S. bank there on Central, and um, no weapon or nothing. I was very polite in my note. I I said like, good morning. I think the first one I put this is a. This is a burglary. <laughs> Not a Robert. This is a burglary. You know, said a few things and like, thank you, you know, and and gave him the note. And so, um, but you know, like I think you're. I've watched a few of the videos. Like, you don't really get very much when you go in and and do the teller, like with a note, or unless you're doing some giant takeover. Yeah, and, unless you go yeah. into the, the cash, you know, and. If you go into the, a lot of these guys will tell you, if you go into the cash uh, drawer, like sometimes they'll have a main drawer with 10, yeah. 9,000, but usually those yeah. have triggers I, and all kinds of problems. I got, I got one of those, like oh. uh, my, my third bank. Yeah. Cause I got like uh 10, 11 grand from that. I hit the head teller. And so she had the big cash drawer and um, yeah, so I did the first one and then it was about two, three weeks. And then of course, when you have money like that, you're going crazy with, Dope. I mean, I wasn't buying new things, fancy things or anything like that. And so uh, now I'm supporting two other people's habit. You know, everybody's your friend when you have, uh, when you got the fix. Right. And, and so then I, um, I went and trying to think what, which was next. So I did, um, this bank way on the, that's the one with the head teller way on the North side of town. And I had a, a driver for that. And so but he didn't know what was going on. I just said, look, you're going to, 
go here and you're going to park right here and I'll be back in a few minutes. And then I got back in the car and I'm like, go, 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 go. And so I got the, the main teller in that one. And, and so he figured out what was going on, you know? So obviously now one person knows and then my roommates know, and you know, that's never good. And so, and so by the time I, I did another one right next to the first one on central and they had one of those machines where, um, almost like a, a printer machine, but it's a little small ATM machine. And so I go in there and she gives me a thousand dollars. I'm like, what the fuck is this? She didn't even open a drawer or nothing. She goes, I have to print it from the machine unless I go back into the vault and that's going to take some time. And then she goes, if you want to wait five minutes, I can print out another thousand, <laughs> kind of like a drop drawer at a, right. you know, like circle K or seven 11, something like that. They have those drop drawers. And so I'm like, ah, oh. so that was like, a thousand bucks out of that it threw off my average you know but uh <laughs> but after that second one we got robbed um because my my roommate was real sloppy he would get all xanaxed out and have these periods of heroin xanax three-day blackouts and um so he had people come into our house and late at night because he was selling and we got robbed and he's getting pistol whipped and i jump and come trying to do a superman and ran right into a fist and and, um, and so I had about four grand in those, you know, those Russian maternity dolls, like the one inside the other, inside the other, inside the other. So I'd rolled all the cash and put it in that. It was on my dresser. And I think the guy knew I had money. I think it was a setup. Like someone knew, told him I had money or something because he was going through the whole house. He's looking under the mattress. Unless he was just looking for dope money, but we weren't those kind of dealer people, you know? And um, he picks that thing up and he puts it down. He moves it over and uh, he couldn't find anything, you know, so he just stole my phone and my TV. But it's, um, you know, that's the, I'm lucky we didn't get shot because the guy was getting pissed. My buddy was getting pistol whipped and I grabbed the guy with the knife and just uh, crazy, crazy things, you know, but that's what happens when you're, when you're living that life, you know? And uh, so I, I did the third one and then they, um, they started putting me on the news. Oh, those bastards. Oh, those bastards, yeah. I, do you have the clip? I don't know if you have the clip or not. Um, did I send it to you? No. The YouTube clip? I don't think so. Yeah, send me the... It, yeah, send it to me for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I ended up... They started putting me on the news, and they I come home, and my roommate's like, dude, you were just on the news. You were just on the news. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. And so I did... Um, one more bank after that. And then I decided, you know what, this is it. I bought a Lincoln. <laughs> like, uh, this is 2016. So I bought a, like a 2004 Lincoln limo editions, uh, special edition windows tinted. And I'm like, you know, this is cool. I got money now. I'm driving my dealer around. I'm so I'm getting hooked up. I'm getting hooked up, you know, like every day I don't have to worry about money to do my habit, you know, cause I, I was, I wasn't looking to get rich off of the banks. I was just looking to not get sick. Right. And so like I'm hooked up. I got, I'm driving my dealer around, making deliveries for him, going here, going there. And, um, and so but some crazy things started happening. Like, uh, I'm like, dude, I feel like we're being followed. He's like, <laughs> no, no. And you know, he's selling meth. So everybody out meth, huh? Well, who would follow us? We're yeah, right? You're all like, you've only robbed three banks. 
Right, right. And I'm driving around with him with, you know, a couple ounces of heroin and meth and then shotgun in the back. And like, who would follow us? Look at all, look at all heroin now driving the Lincoln. <laughs> but my excuse was like, uh, they have what's called livery service in Arizona. So my, my justification for it, if I ever got pulled over, I had nothing in the front. It was on the back and I don't know what he brought in the car. It's, you know, was it me? <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> and so, <laughs> so I just figured that was the, you know, that was a safe way to go about it. But I was like, man, I feel like I'm being followed. And, uh, this was about, uh, September, uh, 2016. And like I would park, we'd park somewhere and this van would come around to the side, like a little minivan, but it would be like a, a lady with her two kids. Right. And so they followed us all the way to this place and then they parked there. I'm like, what's up? So I start walking and they just tires peel and take off. But it's like this um, uh, Somalian lady with two kids in the car. And so I'm, I'm starting to get more paranoid. Now. It's definitely not the police. No, that was definitely not the police. But we're being followed. And so I'm like, what? So I, one time on the freeway, I feel like, uh, I'm like, man, this is crazy. So I'm on... Uh, on the main freeway there in Phoenix and everybody's gone. Anybody knows Phoenix, they're doing 80 if they're doing anything. And I slow down to like 40 miles an hour on the freeway in the center lane. And the two cars that I thought were following me wouldn't pass me. And I'm like, this is, this is odd. This is really odd. And it was a big SUV and um, I don't know what the person was driving it. So then I take off and I'm doing 95 and the guy's right on my tail. And then a police car comes flashing his lights. And I think he's pulling me over. And then he gets in front of the car and me and they pull him over. And I'm like, this is, this is odd. Like what? I don't, I don't understand this, you know? And so, um, that went on for, for about three months and, um, later to come and find out they had a GPS on my car. So I don't know if they have some kind of, they take their CIs to, follow people when they're doing this but I, I don't know it was just or maybe he made some bad deals my my buddy made some bad deals and they were following us i don't know but it was it was uh it, odd things were happening though like i had a, a a garmin that you would put a cell phone chip into for location right and and so but i never used it it was in my drawer so i i come home one day and I had this girl living with me. She was pregnant, not my kid, but, um, and so I come and I, I skip sitting out on the couch and then, and then I pull out the, the chip, the, um, SIM card that was in it and it was a different SIM card. Okay. And so, yeah, just odd. I don't know. Just really strange things. So, um, come to find out I had several people, confidential informants on my, on my case. So, um, I don't know how many people told, you know, the FBI what, um, and so I, uh, I don't know, odd things. Maybe they're trying to keep track of me. My Bluetooth, I had a Sony Bluetooth speaker that was, I'd come home and it would be on and connected to some other phone or some other Bluetooth. And they were friends. This girl staying with me was 
friends with the neighbor next door. So I don't know if the FBI was over there listening to me or trying on the speaker. I don't know. You know, I don't know what kind of tactics they do, but it was just started getting very insane. And then, um, almost 90 days after they put the warrant on for, uh, the, uh, GPS on my car, which I found this out later, but they came and raided me and I had bars on my windows on my, the screen door was a barred screen door and bars on the windows. And it was right when the sun comes up, that's when they get you, you know, right when the sun comes up and I wake up, I'm sick. I can't see straight. And like, ah, there's where they open the door. Like, I'll be right there. <laughs> oh, there's a working door right now. I'm like, hold on. I got to get some clothes. I'd be right there. And I had dope all in the house. And, you know, I'm sick because I, I overslept. And um, I'm banging. I put on shorts. And I'm, like, trying to wipe the the powdery stuff off the counter. And, and I had a gram of dope. And and I couldn't, you know, I had no time to, to do it. I couldn't smoke it or shoot it. So... I put it in the only other place I could get away with hiding it for a while, you know? And, uh, and so they came and they had that bar that comes through the, this long bar trying to pull down the, the blinds to see me. And, and I come out with the pants on and shirt and shoes, no socks. And, uh, they put me on the ground and cuffed me. And, and the girl that was with me, she was there and they just let her go, <laughs> you know, just let her go. So I, I think there was quite a few things going on there, but you know, people keeping an eye on me to make sure I wasn't running off or that right. kind of thing. So, but the, the only thing I like about all of this is they, they referenced me to James Bond in the, uh, <laughs> in the news thing. And they call me the golden eye bandit because I wear these silver rim glasses. Um, and, uh, so so the, the news thing, I'll, I'll send you the clip and uh, yeah, you just like me an article. Uh, I, I, I think I sent you the YouTube video too and like one of the first texts, but maybe, I'll send it again. Okay, maybe, it, yeah, maybe it was a link or something. I didn't, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a link to the, it is ABC News there. It's being, I didn't see it. I did, it was, yeah, okay, yeah, it was a news clip of them talking about you, right? Yeah, it's like Bond, James Bond. There's a new golden eye in town and, Right. <laughs> yeah. So they they did. Yeah, and they had me blasted, golden eye banded, all like they put it on that national uh, syndicated news list all over the country and and everything. So it was a matter of time before they got me. But you know, I didn't really care. I didn't care so much. That I, no, I'm just saying I didn't care so much that I got arrested. Like I was just done. Like I've just spent. You know, like at this point, I'm just white. You know, right? You you were gonna say? I was gonna say. So what? The, what do they say when they grab you? They get you. They bring you in the little room. The FBI agents come in and sit down. Yeah. So they they take me to uh, some building right across from the main justice center, federal justice center there in Phoenix, and they they're fingerprinting me, and they don't really tell me. They didn't say why I was being arrested, and I didn't ask. You know, which is an obvious sign of guilt, right? <laughs> what are you doing here? And um. And so he asked me a few questions and then he's lawyered up. You know, I said, I want an attorney. He, um, he asked me about my cell phone number and then he asked me, um, if I had ever been in this part of town or something like that. And I just said, you know what? I think I should get an attorney and I just lawyered up. And, um, so, but they were like super nice to me, like, you know, just completely nice. 
um, they're walking me over to the federal center. They let me have a cigarette and they're like saying, don't worry this, you know, you'll get through this, Mr. Martinez, just, you know, you'll be okay. And, um, by this time, the, you know, the, the intro dose of, uh, the heroin's kicking in. I'm kind of, yeah. <laughs> and, um, they take me right over to the justice center and I'm sitting in those, uh, stainless steel benches, you know, and I'm just <laughs> falling over on all the, the people there that got caught crossing the border and everything else. I mean, I was just out of it. And I got a rain that day and sent straight off to Florence, uh, which is the big prison town. Basically they have state there. They have the core civic for the feds. I think they have a, if you're like a probation violation person, you might have another little area there for uh federal and right. Yeah. That started my whole, that started my whole prison experience. And uh, so, well, what happened? What did they offer you? I mean, did they, did you say I'm so, on trial? I don't know what you're talking about. Like at what point did the, somebody come up and say, Hey, this is why they arrested you. This is what you're looking for. Well, I realized then it was for the banks after that, you know, like, cause then the, uh, that initial appearance before the judge, uh, you know, they said four counts of bank robbery. And, um, so I had a public defender and, you know, looking over the discovery and, you know, seeing my picture like this up at the camera, <laughs> you know, like, and, you know, I mean, I knew I was had, so I, I didn't fight my case and it took a year to get through the whole process, not even trying to fight my case. Cause I figured, yeah. you know, every, everybody, someone there has that big giant book that says, um, uh, the federal sentencing, beat, God. The, feds, beat the feds or something like that, or no, no, no. uh, busted yeah. by the feds. Busted by the feds. That's it. And it's like this big. And the the two things I got out of it is one, they win 95 to 98% of their cases. And two, if you take it to the box, you're screwed and you lose, you're screwed. And so, um, and I had no one else on my case. Like it wasn't like I could, you know, I mean, I guess I could have snitched, I could have snitched on the driver, but what good have that done? You know what I mean? It's like, at this point I figured out like, um, you know, unless you're, I was going to say, and, and all you've done is hand people a note. Like, you didn't have a gun, so that would have been a problem. No, no weapon. Yeah, no weapon at all, and my notes were nice and, you know, polite. And I... You didn't hand them a harshly worded... It was a harshly worded uh, note? No. No, it was like it was like, thank you. You know, it was basically like, put the hundreds, fifties, and twenties on the counter, remove the bands, spread them open, because I didn't want a, a GPS chip, you know, right. um, uh no, no GPS, no die packs. Thank you. You know, and then the first one, I left a note. The other ones, I, I realized I should take the note because the first one, I remember he pulled it back because they wanted to keep it as evidence for DNA and those kind of things. So the other ones, I took the notes, but um, they had them, you know, the shot down with the camera camera on them. So it, it took me, uh, they kept delaying the final sentencing and that type of thing. And I'm just like, look, I don't. You know, I don't, I don't want this to be a problem, but I was a, I had no prior criminal record on anything like the, that charges for my kid, you know, being in a juvenile never showed up. I had, um, I had another incident when I was in Cleveland where I, my wife worked for a bank and we had split up and I was, we had two separate bank accounts. So I was depositing money here and withdrawing it over here and back and forth and back and forth. And the next thing you know, you're about six grand overdrawn. Right. And yeah, so 
I had three felony charges on that, and I ended up getting a, attempting to pass a bad check misdemeanor. Out of you know, paid the money back, paid the money back, released that day, no probation, uh, attempting to pass a bad check misdemeanor, and that was it. Right. So they didn't they didn't do anything with that on my criminal history, and so I basically had nothing on my criminal history, but I was still a, a thirty eight on the list. Because I had, I think bank robbery is like a 32 or 34, something like that. Just with or without a gun. The gun's just an enhancement. And then, but they counted each one. Each bank was another one point enhancement from the first. So I was looking at uh, five to six years, I think, um, was my was my column, you know. And, uh, and so, but some things started happening there, like... Um, like when I look back at my experience in prison, like to me, prison saved my life. Like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Like I've always been kind of a spiritual person, not really a, a big religion person, but I've always researched other ways of thinking and, and following. And so when I was there at, uh, Eric Flores, I'm watching this movie, uh, battleship, I think uh, Chris Pine's in it or something like that. Yeah. And then in, in the beginning, he was talking to him about, um, uh, what is it? The, I'm not going to think of it. Uh, the, the book, the Odyssey and, you know, the old Greek book, the Odyssey and the travels through everywhere and, uh, all the Greek mythology and all that. And I'm like, I want to read that book. I would love to read that, read that book. And two days later, it comes on the book cart. Like who gets Homer's Odyssey on the book cart? Right. I'm like, I'm like, this is fucking cool. This is way cool. It is a sign. And so I'm thinking like, this is like a, a complete synchronicity. Like I knew about it, but I'd never experienced it before. I'm like, this is a complete synchronicity. And then I get Celestine prophecies come in on the book court, book cart when I, and it's, that's all about synchronicities and, and those kind of things in life that everything leads you to the next thing. There's really not any coincidences, so to speak. And so I'm like, man, this is super cool. So now two things have happened. And I'm like, I'm, I want to keep on this pursuit. And so I'm like, I, I want to read something else. And this book came in called Scientific Christian. It was written back in like 1870s. And it's a very theosophy kind of book, uh, the whole manifestation. and But from a very uh, God-centered kind of way. And so I read through that and and... And then I found another one. When I was finished with that book, it'd be like the next time the book cart comes that week, there was one um, it was about this stick, and it's called The Power of Mind by Ernest Holmes. And it just blew me away. The the whole process of changing your thinking and, you know, that what you think about, you bring about, you know? Like I've been through some cognitive behavioral therapy kind of things, you know, where you create, you know, you create your core and what are your values and, and those kind of things. But you know, that your thoughts become words, your, your, your thoughts become words and then they become actions, you know, and it's, and I started to really uh, develop that sense. And so by the time I'm getting ready to finally go for my sentencing, my attorney asked me, he's like, the FBI really want to talk to you. I'm like, what? I, what? I could have, you know, I'm getting six years. I go talk to the FBI. I got nothing to tell him. And what, what am I going to do at the worst, at the worst case, I get one year off and then I go in and everybody knows I'm a snitch, you know? Right. And so that was my, that was my thought process anyway. And so 
I'm like, no, I don't have anything to talk to them about. He goes, just talk to them, just talk to them. So they delayed my sentencing one more time. And I went in and I, I'm like, okay, what? He goes, well, first of all, is there any money left? You know, did you hide any money? Is there any money left? I'm like, no, I only got like 20 grand out of the four banks. So, and so I'm like, no, he's like, um, I go, what, what? He goes, how did you pick your banks? And so I explained to them that they used to have a, a webpage, an FBI most wanted webpage for bank robbers. Um, and so you could look up on there, all the banks, and you could sort it out by state and then by city. And then you could sort out by weapon or they got away and it would say, it would read, um, and how long ago. So it was kind of like a sorting protocol for bank robberies. Right. In the area over given. The best banks to rob paid. That's what I used it for because I'm like, well, this makes sense. They were robbed three months ago, two, three months ago. They went in without a weapon and they got away with the undisclosed amount of cash. So that tells me there's no guard there. No, no security. They don't have door locks where they lock you in the bank and they all run in the back or, or anything like that. And so I did that. And then, so I explained that to them like, ah, interesting. And then I used Google maps, you know, like I, I just, the first one, I already had a plan to get out walking, but the, the rest of my, I used Google maps. Like I looked for banks by a little construction site or, you know, those kind of things as I drive by, but places that the bank wasn't there were obstacles around there, so they couldn't see where I came in from, and they couldn't see where I left when I went out. They didn't have any other photos of me other than just in the bank and leaving the bank. That's it. No photos of uh, you know buildings around me or or anything like that. So I just I shared that with them, and but I was so nervous because you get those five thirteen whatever five thirteen B I don't know what it is that basically says you cooperated. Oh uh, oh yeah uh uh. 5k1 or a rule 30 yeah that's it 5k1 yeah and i like you know this is gonna give me one of those and and um i'm like ah and then everybody's gonna think that i had someone else on my case and then they're gonna know so they um when they were when i was getting my sensing they paused the stenographer and they paused the recording of the court case for them to say, I cooperated. I'm, I was very cooperative with them, and right. and so forth. And um, I ended up getting 28 months. Nice. So I'd already done a year in the um, 28 months, and maybe I would have got maybe I would have gotten that anyway. You know, I don't know, but um, it just like everybody was so nice to me. Like I don't understand. Like even in prison, every everybody was just so nice to me. Even in prison. Like, I think the harshest, I almost got in a fight with my, uh, my celly. Well, he almost whooped my ass over some little spat, you know, but he's six foot four Missouri boy, you know, and he was working on that 400, 400, 400, you know, squat, deadlift and bench press. <laughs> yeah. Big arms like this. And my room was, uh, well, I ended up, so I, I mean, I'll go to that later. So I got, uh, 28 months, already did a year. And then you do the, uh, Everybody goes to Colorado, and then I ended up going to Latuna in El Paso for, um, I did, uh, I only did like nine months there, nine months in Latuna. Uh, I was in low, medium, just a real fucked up place. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, they, 
all the guards that can't make it in other places can't figure out how to get along with the guards or the the inmates there they go there that's their shit place and so you have a it's just it's just a messed up place but yeah i just smiling because i think about the first thing i remember what the first thing someone said to me when i got to florence was that's not our table bro (laughs) (laughs) i was there was only two people in the they're pods right so they're like these triangle pods and you got those stainless steel tables with four stools around and then you got the four tvs and there was only two guys two white guys sitting at a table and so i go and i sit at this table over here he's like that's not our table bro like i wasn't sitting at the white table right so yeah yeah interesting yeah you meet some characters man it's just force was crazy i got i was watching one of your interviews and it it was they were talking about like when you have a when you have somebody you think like please don't i can't stand that person this person drives me nuts that's exactly who you get put with you know like when you start thinking about it even if it's in a negative way that's what happens and this guy he was completely just tweaked even though he was sober he's walking around and you know how they are like oh man i can't believe can you believe it my wife slept with my three sons can you believe it i love that bitch but i love her you know (laughs) pacing walking around pacing the whole time like all night all day and then one time i said something i'm like well dude why do you why are you even writing to her now anymore? But then I'm, a, you know, because I'm intruding on his thing there now. And he looks at me, you think you want to get involved in this? You want to get involved in this? Like, you know, like, okay, no. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, there's a lot of mental. A good woman. A lot of mental uh, issues going on yeah. in prison. Yeah. Like, I had never, other than a few drunk tanks and one night in a, in a holding cell for the check thing, I'd never been, you know, in any kind of facility or anything. So I like, I had no prison sense. I had no, uh, idea what, you know, like I used to joke with my friend, like, uh, I'm like, uh, cause I would go to Walmart when I was drinking a lot and still the big, the big bottle, like every two days, I still big bottle. I, I did that for about six months without getting caught. And then, um, it's like, dude, you're going to go to jail. I'm like, I don't go to jail. Like, cause all these things that had happened to me in my whole life, I'd never. Yeah, you're getting away with it. I kept getting away with it. Yeah, I mean the juvie thing. Yes, I mean that was. But then I went to a, you know, I went to a placement. I didn't even do like. And then the charges got dismissed. I'm like, I don't go to jail. Well, he was right. I just went straight to prison. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you get halfway house? Yeah, three months halfway house in um, Phoenix. I um. Uh, halfway house was uh i almost rather have done my three months still in, in latuna than to go to the halfway house because yeah you know i don't i don't know where where you you were in a camp i couldn't go to a camp no i was in a low i was in a medium i went uh, to a medium for three years then i went to a low for like nine years and then i i went to, i did seven months in a halfway house oh wow i, I would have rather been in in the prison stayed in prison but I needed yeah. a halfway house. I needed to get a job. I had to save money. And after 13 years, yeah. Yeah. For sure. There, yeah, there's no money. So, um, you know, but the problem, like you said, the problem is the halfway house, it's so overly intrusive. It's just much, much worse. It's a much worse place than the prison. Yeah. And where I was in, in El Paso, they had, I wouldn't say that, 
everybody sticks with their own race. You know how that is, you know? Right. And then, and then the ones that aren't allowed to sit at anybody's table, they all stick together, you know? Right. But what, the people I came across in El Paso, many of them are, and they get funded by the federal prison system to keep taking hormones to complete their transition. And so because they're in that transition phase, any kind of, any kind of violence against them is a hate crime, a federal right. hate crime. And so they're almost, they're almost a protected class there in, in El Paso. And, um, like just everything blew me away. Anywhere, like, anywhere, anywhere in the federal system. Yeah. And I'm not saying there's wrong with people taking hormone or anything like that. I'm just saying like, it just, it wasn't what I thought, you know, like I thought like, man, you know, cause they're just walking around and you know, everybody's got their hustle. So like you could sell to them, but you couldn't buy from them, you know? And, and, uh, what was your hustle? I mean, mine, I taught the real estate class, you know, and I wrote stories for people, but you know, nobody, it's not like anybody paid me uh, for the story, yeah. but spent my time writing stories. I spent my time uh, doing the real estate class and then, you know, people would send me money, you know, from the, on the street a little bit, here, yeah. a little bit there uh, for the most part, but that's it. Like, like, that's it. Like I, I didn't. But I didn't really go to can. I mean, I didn't really go to the commissary. Like I would get coffee and creamer to get coffee and creamer, you know, for, I'm sorry, for coffee. But I also taught the real estate class. So people would, if they wanted a certificate, if they didn't want to go to the class, then I said, great, give me like uh, coffee and yeah. two creamers. So I always right. had hung the coffee and creamer. In worst case scenarios, my mom would send me money. But I also, like I optioned, um, a couple of guys, uh, life rights to their stories. So that, okay. me. I also got a couple of book deals. So that nice. also paid me, you know, I got some advances. So I had a little bit, little chunks of money. Let's face it. You get a check for $3,500 in prison. You're going to be okay for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, kind I don't of think like, a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people understand too. Like, um, I don't know States the same way or not, but feds, you pretty much have to pay for everything. Like if you want toothpaste, unless you want those little, clears and the the toothbrush that lasts like a day and a bar of soap but everything else like shampoo and everything else you have to pay for and my job paid me 15 dollars a month there so you know that's like two honey buns what was that yeah i, I had one job that paid like 23 or 26 dollars did that for a while and then i had another job that paid like 80 or 90 when i was a ged tutor but for the most part yeah the jobs don't pay yeah anything. yeah the ones you had to have a lot of time to get the ones where you, you know, they have the prisoners making the uh, Homeland Security trucks, putting all the enhancements Unicorn. on them. Unicorn. Yeah. They got paid very well, you know, but $14. My parents, my parents didn't even know where I was. Um, they knew I got arrested, um, but they had no idea where it was. I, I didn't ask them for money. So I never had anything coming in on my books. You just can't survive on $14 a month. Man. There's just no way, you know. Not if you want to eat anything decent once in a while, because you know everybody's cooking food and and uh, we didn't have microwaves. We had uh, two hundred four, which was water at two hundred four degrees, just under boiling. So oh, yeah, yeah. I, oh no, microwave. Yeah, no microwaves. But my yeah, you my Sally, he made a. What's that? You could make coffee with it. You can make coffee, or you could take uh, you know something and and 
put it in there and heat it up for a while, like wrap it in cellophane, like a trash so bag and heat it up. Do people have stingers? Yeah, stingers, but this the cell, the way it was where I was at is um, they had two parts to La Tuna. So they had, it looks like it was an old Catholic uh, mission that got converted over. And so they built a new pod area, which is kind of like where it was in Florence with the, the different pods and regular cells. And then they had uh, one area where it was two long hallways. And then you had gates at the end of each hallway. And then the, the CO's little area there and the main exit out in a bathroom on the inside. But there were no doors, no doors on the, on the rooms. So anybody just come walking by could peek in or whatever. And there were four man rooms. So same size rooms, but four man rooms. So you can imagine, you know, you had about this much between this much between the two bunks and about maybe four feet to walk the bed. Cause you had four lockers in there, you know, top, well, two top and bottom. And, uh, yeah, it gets pretty tight in there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Tensions get high. Tensions get high. For sure. <laughs> yeah. People have to, 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 you want to change. Somebody has to walk out of the room just for you to have the, enough room to kind of move around just to put your pants on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing how well everybody has their locker memorized. Like if one little thing is moved, like they know, like someone's been in my locker, you know, like they know, like the toothpaste is turned sideways or something, you know, like, or the cop, the cops would come and search the lockers. Yeah, they would search. And so we didn't have doors. Um, so we weren't even allowed to have buckets in our room. Like, cause people would get stingers. They would make them out of, uh, coils out of uh like vacuum machines or you know uh and then so my celly had a sting he used to make real cheesecakes like with an actual yogurt kind of uh he had a kicker he would make and he would let the yeast the yeast grow into like real actual cheese and then drain it out and oh they're amazing you, know, you guys are amazing yeah. in there they you gotta admit they come yeah. up with some amazing stuff like the, the creamer cheesecakes were all right. Everybody sold those, but my, my celly, he had like real cheesecakes. <laughs> so that was my house. So I made, I made, I took his leftover cheese and made like these uh, brownie balls and you sell like 10 of them for a tuna or something like that. But yeah. So halfway house. Yeah. I got a job right out of halfway house and um, I went to halfway house. You have to get a job. So at this point I'm, I'm feeling good. You know, like um, I remember when I first got to El Paso, my, my celly looked at me and he said, and I'll never forget this. Like if he's out there somewhere, bro, thank you. He said, um, is this what you're going to do with the rest of your time here? Just lay around, just waste it away. He goes, you know what you do here is going to be exactly what you do when you get out of here. I'm like, all right. So, you know, that kind of like started the process. You get up every day, you make your bed, you know, you, you get into that routine of, uh, starting to take care of yourself and, and, um, uh, Actually, for the first time, started to feel like a little self-respect and some goodness about myself. You know, like just, I've always been kind of this insecure uh, person, you know, very chatty, but like when I'm done, then, you know, leave me alone. I'm all by myself and in my head. Right. And um, like, I just felt like I was walking taller and, and uh, feeling good about myself. And so when I got out of the halfway house before my probation officer even came, I already had a job. I was working at a Jackson's. And they love felons because they get a tax write-off. So I was gonna, I was changing oil and washing cars, you know, and send them through the car wash. And I did that for 
about a year and um and just got my life together i got it my credit was fine by then so i got a car loan and had a car and started dating i dated this girl for about three years and um that went to crap but but you know stayed clean and and uh i just kept with the process of, of taking care of myself you know like i I went and registered with the VA for some PTSD classes and, you know, there's a lot of help out there if, if one needs it and wants it. You know, I think you have to be flexible because nothing's going to be tailor-made to every specific person. But I had issues from the military and things like that. And, you know, every time I turned, they were there for me, you know, like they, and I, um, I went to fed, um, federal probation court. But, well, federal probation, but it was vet court for feds. And Phoenix was the first one to do that. Um, they have it for state, like a lot of vet courts and state, but there's not many federal. And so for doing my two years of probation, they knocked off a year. I don't know if they do that in other programs, but um, but you go there and the judge and you, everybody pledges allegiance to the flag and you have, you have the judge there, you have your probation officer, you have a VA representative, you have the district attorney, that's there and you have uh, another person and you have just people there that want to help you get on your feet. And so uh, the judge is absolutely amazing, Judge Silver. And she starts off and she's basically like, so what do you need, Scott? Tell me how it's going. What can we do for you? Tell me what you need. And um, let's see if we can get you, keep you going, you know? And so it was just my whole experience with everything in the, in the system is just for what it was, you know, I mean, for being in prison and that kind of thing, like I had, to me, it was like uh, going to a rehab that I just couldn't leave, you know? Right. Like, I, I didn't have any problems with anybody. I never got in a fight. I never, I never had to run away from a fight. You know what I mean? Like, I never had to, I just never had a problem. You know, like it was just the same way with probation, you know? And um, I'm just very grateful for that. Like, I think, I think a lot of people come out and they, F the police and this and that, you know, everything I got arrested for, I did, you know, yeah. there wasn't one thing that I got nailed on me that I didn't deserve to have nailed on me, you know? How did you end up in, uh, in Mexico? Ah, uh, so I got out, my probation ended in, uh, November of 2020. So I got out in 2018, my probation in 2020, and I just started watching YouTubes and I was like, you know, I have no money, basically, you know, no money. Um, everybody told me I needed to file a claim uh, with the VA for my first disability. And so I started that process and I just started watching YouTube and like, um, they gave me a certain rating and then eventually got upped because I realized, I guess I am a little nuts, but, <laughs> and so um, I was watching and it just, I'm like, shit. So my girlfriend and I broke up and I, I went on one last tear through Las Vegas, which I don't even want to get into that. That was horrible. But um, and I'm like, you know what? I guess I got to go. I got to go. Like, just be somewhere I can be by myself and nobody around me. And I went and I applied for a one-day passport. I uh, went down to the passport agency and they told me no. They go, we can't give you a passport today. I'm like, what? And so... Um, they had never released me in the system from being off federal probation or anything like that. So they had to get an email back from DC or something like, I got my probation, you know, my probation officers, anyway, text them or whatever. And so I went back the next day 
they gave me my passport and I was gone the next day and uh, came down here. But I love it here, man. It's just, it's so calm. Um, the area I'm at is like, there's no crime here. Right. Like, you know, is in Mexico, there's not a lot of crime in Mexico anyway, you know, like, except bad people doing things to bad people, you know, like in that right. sense. But, um, but here there's, if, if you hear about a house getting broken into, like, that's odd. Like it's considered the third or fourth, uh, safest city in the country, in the world, basically. Like it's safer than Amsterdam. And I think only one other place, like maybe British Columbia is, you know, on the other top two or three. And the people here, the other night we went and I was having dinner and I left a little change, you know, a little thing with my cards and change because you get all these pesos and everything here. And I left it on the table and I forgot. And I come back like 20 minutes later and it's sitting right there. All the money's in it. No one even touches it. No one even touches it to turn it in. They just leave it. I mean, they're just, it's just a, an honest, kind place. You know, I don't get mail. I don't get telemarketing calls. I don't get nothing. Like I just take my money and I don't leave the house a lot. So I take my money and I go and I swim in the pool, which is in the area. I, I'm like a 750 square foot apartment, um, two bedroom. And I pay with utilities and everything like 450 a month. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, it's amazing. You should come visit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I basically just go to the beach and hang out at the pool. Um, my girlfriend, she, you know, I still, I still have moments where I just go and like, I could disappear for a month just in my house, you know? So she'll come and get me and take me shopping and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but, um, yeah, I love it. And so I, I think that one of the reasons I wanted to, to come and tell this, like, um, I don't think my story is so extravagant or, you know, I didn't, I didn't do so many horrific things. I think like it would make a great book or anything or that kind of stuff. But I, I think there's a good message to be said that if, if uh, I heard someone else say this too, that, you know, from I've started over so many times, Matthew, like I've gone from nothing, like so many times in my life to back up, to back down, to back up and to back down and then to come out of prison. And the girl I dated when I got out, like before we went on the first date, I told her, I said, look, I robbed four banks. You know, you have a 15 year old daughter we had talked on the phone a little bit. I said, but you have a 15 year old daughter. You're going to invite me into your home. I think you should know this before I come into your house. You know what I mean? And, and meet your daughter, you know, like, I mean, it just seems like the right thing to do. And like we talked and she ended up beating my probation officer. I still chat with my probation officer now. Like, uh, you know, this, the process I went through in, in Florence and the process of changing the way you think and, making it a part of a part of who you are, not just, it's easy to say, like, uh, I hear these people on YouTube or wherever talking about, Oh, just manifest a thousand dollars, do this over here. And you know, if I think about wanting a car so much, like I could say I manifested coming to Mexico because I put three years into thinking about it, into a plan to get here. Right. right. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I didn't know how I was going to do each little step along the way, but it became my focus. It became my purpose. And I never had a purpose before for anything, you know, like, um, I think I heard you talk about it on one of your other interviews about having that purpose is, is the big motivator to keeping you moving in the right direction. You know, and if my purpose is doing drugs, I'm going to go on that route. But if I keep yeah. another purpose, you know? Yeah, definitely. 
And I, I feel like I can. I'm sorry. I was going to say you can, you know, basically I think it's like you can withstand, you know, anything if you have a purpose, you know? Right. You become there's, there's, yeah, there's that, well, there's that book, that purpose driven life. And then there's, um, a book by, uh, Victor Frankel. He was, a uh, Jewish guy in the concentration camps and it's called the man's search for meaning. And, um, and he just talks about making yourself almost to the point where you're transparent and everything is your purpose. You know, like, like if I want a thousand dollars from me, I mean, that's an ego centered kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like if I, if I pray to find a hundred dollars on the ground, I'm really praying for someone to lose a hundred dollars too. Right? Like, I mean, that's a very kind of selfish, selfish motivation. But if I want to do something that can enlighten or help or, uh, motivate other people to or just bring a smile to their face you know and that's my purpose then then good things will come to me you know what i mean because it's it's not an ego it's not an ego thing it's a it's a soul thing you know i don't know if that makes sense or not <laughs> um okay yeah I feel like we've so thoroughly investigated this matter Thank you. Thank you. Ta-da. Ta-da. I'm grateful. That's what turned out of it. I'm grateful and uh, in a good place, man. I'm very happy. I have uh, I have some things I'm trying to do. Um, there's a, a thing here that's legal in Mexico called Ibogaine. And it's um, phenomenal results. And they take people, they, they go on a three-day treatment. You can go in addicted to heroin right then. You don't go through withdrawals. Um if you're an alcoholic, you won't go through the DTs or anything like that. You come out and might have a follow-up in two, three months and maybe one or two every couple of years, but completely kicks the habit, completely. Alcohol, heroin. So I'm in the process of trying to work out some things for veterans to come down here to Mexico and just kind of have a calm way of uh, of living. And it's legal here in Mexico. It's not in the United States because there's no money in it because it's made out of a, a natural source, kind of like Kratom or... Right. Or uh, I, you know, so, so um, so I'm hoping that works out. You know, and uh, yeah. Anyway, thank drug, you. So much, drug, the drug comes, drug and alcohol uh, companies can't, or the uh, rehab companies can't figure out how to monetize it. They're not right. interested. Yeah, they, there's no way to monetize it. Yeah, because you don't need to keep them there 30 days. Right. Like someone could come, and they have treatment centers here in Mexico already. Someone could come and spend three or four days here and go back not addicted and not have the cravings and not have the urges and, and find a sense of, uh, the wholeness, you know, like when I talked about just felt like I had no soul, you know, you find a sense of wholeness in you and, uh, you know, and it kind of takes away that need to medicate. Yeah. That's not going to take that. That's, that's not going to take root here. No, no. <laughs> um, and, and I just want to say one other thing real quick, like to anybody else that might see this or whatever, if you see this and, I know I destroyed a lot of lives in this process of getting here. I mean, I really did. My parents and other people, people I stole from and that kind of thing. I just, you know, I'm very sorry. I apologize. You know, it's a, it's been a long trip getting here. And so, okay. Well, yeah. I, I don't know about destroying their lives, but you've affected several people's lives. Like, yeah. yeah. I destroyed it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, hey, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you uh, contacting me and coming on and, and, I appreciate you uh, doing the uh, doing.
doing the interview. Hey, I hope you guys liked the interview. And if you did, do me a favor and subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell so you get notified of videos like this. And leave me a comment in the comment section. Um, and thank you for checking out the channel. See ya.